This is Woodman Park. It's one of the oldest ballparks still in use in the minor leagues. And it's one of the coolest spots in the Quad City. The game that's played here dates back to the 18th century. We call it baseball. It's played between two teams of nine players. And like any other game, there are rules and regulations. And there is a way to win. Players score when they successfully hit the ball with the bat and run the bases. Now the score only counts when they run the bases in the right way. When they go from home to first, from first to second, from second to third, and third back to home plate. When a player does that all at once, that's called a home run. And it's something every player aspires to. In some ways, we can all long to hit a home run in life, to live a home run life. But we can struggle with knowing how. Yet, God has given a very clear design for how to do that. It's different than the pattern we see in the world, but it's one that when we understand it, we can actually live it. We can live a home run life, the kind of life that Jesus offers us. The secret is in knowing how to run the basics. Well, hello, Heritage. Welcome to week one of Home Run Life, where we are taking six weeks to explore God's game plan for life. And I want to welcome all of you here and give a shout out to the Bettendorf and QC West peeps, as well as those joining us online. I'm thrilled that you're all here, because this is going to be a highly impactful series and tons of fun as we encounter a pattern. It's God's pattern. It's his pattern for a home run life. Now, I want to make a disclaimer first that if you are a baseball fan, you will love this series. But if you are not a baseball fan, listen, you will love this series. It is not about baseball. It refers to baseball, references baseball, but it's not about baseball. Home run life is for anyone who wishes or desires for more in this life. If you've ever looked at life and tried to make sense of it and don't understand why things haven't worked out like you thought, if you've ever just wanted a different life, or if you've just sat back and said, I wish there was more in my life, there's more to come from it, this series is for you. Home Run Life is about how to ultimately win according to God's game plan. It's, it's his plan, it's not ours, it's not my idea, this is God's pattern that we're looking at. And the connection to baseball comes from a professional mentor of mine, Kevin Myers. I'm so grateful for his personal and professional influence in my life and his willingness to refine this concept and then share it in a way so that more people can understand God's game plan for life. Because just like there is a way to win in baseball, there is a way to win in life. So let's get right to it. What does it mean? What's the makings of a home run life? What is included in a home run life? If you were to sit back and think of what people might say would be included into a home run life, what would that be? In fact, let's do this. I want everybody at all of our campuses to turn to one person or another person beside you and share a one or two word descriptor of what you think others might say would be included in a home run life. If you don't know, that's okay. Just take a shot at it. Turn to somebody, and what do you think would be included in a home run life? Go ahead and do that.
All right, your descriptions may vary a little bit. The things you heard or the things you shared may be widely different, but I believe most, if not all, of what you heard or shared can fit into one of four categories. One of four categories that that really form the framework of what a home run life consists of. One of those categories is success. You may have shared something or heard somebody share something that relates to accomplishment, to being successful. And the reality is none of us want to fail. None of us plan for failure, to, like, to be a failure. We all want to have some level of success. And maybe for you, as you thought through that, it includes that piece. But maybe for others, there's this element of relationships. And as you're thinking about a home run life, you're thinking of another person. You're thinking of a someone. And you're saying, you know what? It's that relationship. It's that dynamic. And for you, the others involved are the, form the making of a home run life. And the reality is success without a someone is empty. So maybe someone is part of what it means for a home run life for you. But beyond that, the, the real deal is that we are a someone in that process, and, and we're present in this home run life, and so self-respect comes up on the radar as another category. We want to be able to be someone that looks our, at ourselves in the mirror and can live with ourselves. That we don't have to hang our head in shame, that we're a person of integrity, that what we have done and how we've invested is something we can be proud of. And maybe that's what you shared. But then there's this fourth component. It really has to do with uh, meaning or significance. That we want our life to count for something. That it matters. That it makes a difference. That it's more than making a dollar or it's more than just about us. That there's meaning to that. And so there's significance. There's self-respect. There is also someone and there is success. And those things are good things. It's okay to pursue those things. That's the makings of a home run life. The problem is very few people live a life marked by all four. We may be able to get one or two and miss out on the rest, strike out on the others. Not consistently living in all four. Yet, when we understand the pattern that God has for us, we can consistently live this kind of life in all four areas. That's the makings of a home run life. The question is, how do we do that? How do we live in a way where those four realities are consistently represented in our lives? Let's just, for a moment, talk about one of those, success. If we were just to consider success, none of us, as I said, ever want to just fail. We don't want to fail. We desire success. We want to have success over failure. We want the good over the bad. We don't want to strike out. And that's so much so that we will, we will pursue success and invest a lot of time and money and energy into success. And that starts to bleed into our someones. It affects how we relate to people and how I relate to people and our level of success starts to impact our identity and who we are. And we think that all these three things define our value. And we can end up in a place where we're, com- we're seeing if we're still successful by comparing ourselves to someone else while others are doing the same thing to us. And, and life can get pretty messy pretty quickly. And we can end up someplace we never intended to go. We don't plan to fail. But it happens. And when it does, we can struggle to find joy in life. And we can struggle to find a definition of success that we can live with especially in difficult seasons. You see, the the dictionary defines success this way, the favorable or prosperous termination of attempts or endeavors. Well, that that seems all right, 
life is rarely that clean and simple. At some point, we can all struggle with defining success. It could be after a major loss in our life. Maybe it's in the middle of a midlife crisis, after a deep wound, or a big mistake. I realize that some of us here today are right in the middle of those things, and, and we can't even begin to see a way out, and we think there is no way out. But what if there is? What if there was? What if it's a lot more simple than we think it is? What if the reason life is so hard is that we're looking at it backwards? That we're pursuing it the wrong way? Look, how we define success matters because it determines what we pursue. Many of you know that I spent a number of years as a state trooper in Pennsylvania. And uh, during that time, I was very committed to making a difference. Uh, I was to, to, to stopping and capturing people who committed crimes. And, and just getting them off the street and making the streets safer. And honestly, when I would capture some people or I'd stop someone and I'd arrest them, I'd pull them in, many of the times they didn't spend very much time in jail. In fact, sometimes charges were completely dropped in plea agreements, and the work that I had done seemed meaningless. There were times even that I would arrest somebody, and before I finished the paperwork, they were back out on the street. And in those moments, I was tempting to say, what's the point? But the problem was my definition of success was too small. I was looking solely at results, and I was not appreciating or understanding the rest of the process. That I needed to get to the point that no matter what a district attorney or a jury or a judge decided, that I knew that I had, out of my relationship with God, to the best of my abilities, done what was right by all involved, so that results no longer alone defined everything else. See, how we define success matters, and it determines what we pursue. Jesus talked a fair amount about what matters in life. Uh, he, he did it understanding that he had a purpose himself. In fact, in one occasion, he was talking with some religious leaders, and he was talking about what he pursued in his life. And this is what he said in John 10.10. 10. He said, I have come that they may have life. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's your first fill, and if you're following along in your sermon notes guide, it's life. And so that means that Jesus lived and died and rose again so, so we, you and I, can have life. So that we can have what? Life. And not just any kind of life, but a full life. Life abundant. True life. A life marked by significance in someone's and, and self-respect and success. Even when life goes sideways. When, when things don't work out like we thought. See, every day we build our life on our choices that we make. The, the outcome is connected to how we live. We're defined by the journey itself, by what we do. And what we do is more often than not determined by how we define things like success and significance. And when those things are unclear, we struggle. With the wrong definition of success or self-respect, we can think life to the full is something that it's really not. And, well, well, we can end up, well, we can end up kind of like these fellows in this video. Check it out. 
thought you might want to know. Uh, sales aren't up. They're, uh, they're down. That's hilarious. We'll laugh at that every time. It's a classic. But listen, it helps illustrate the point as well. With the wrong definition of success or a win, we do the wrong thing. We mismanage or mishandle life. And when we don't know how to correct it, we can end up changing the wrong thing. We can even end up ignoring reality by celebrating failure. Not that much unlike the well-dressed fellows in that video. Look, let's go back to what makes for a home run life. What, what's a win? When we seek to be successful, we will spend our lives investing and pursuing results. And as we lean into those realities, as we pursue these things, we think, okay, if I can be at a certain level of success and I have a certain level of achievement, then I have earned the respect of those around me. And I, have, and I, am, I am someone who has some ones. That out of my success, I have relationships that I based out of my success that I have influence for. And now that means that I have this element of I, I am someone and so I can respect myself because I have people who respect me because of what I have accomplished. And from there, well then I am a person of significance. And the reality is we can look at this and say, well that makes a whole lot of sense. That if I can do these things, and then I can prove myself to others, and then that makes me somebody that is worthy, worthy of respect, so then I am someone significant. Okay, that's simple. That, that seems legitimate. But the reality is when we start our life here, when we base our life on success, we build it on results. And so everything else that we do is about maintaining those results. And so we will use people to maintain those results. And we will cheat in areas of integrity to maintain those results. Because if this collapses, we don't get to here. And what we end up finding as we try to go through this is that we end up in this process that really is impossible and that we can't get to significance through success. That there's actually a different pattern. But far too often in this world we don't understand God's game plan and pattern for life, we don't get that. We, we miss it. We, we don't understand that what we're doing is trying to build a life on us our strength, our ability, our effectiveness, and it just doesn't work. See, God himself said through the prophet Jeremiah, he said in chapter 17, this is what the Lord says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Now, that may seem harsh, but it's not an indictment. It's a warning. It's actually an invitation to more, to be better. In fact, there's a Proverbs that says this. It says, those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept what? Safe. Kept safe. Look, living life based on success or out of success can leave us stuck in this hopelessly impossible scenario. It's, it's one where we... We feel it's the rat race that we struggle with in life. We're always trying to prove ourselves. We're always trying to be worthy of something. We're always trying to do more. And what ends up happening is that we, we let our doing lead to our being. This is something we talked about before. That we do these things ultimately so that we can become something. And that is where our value is placed. 
But this is not how God designed things in life. This is the world's pattern. This is how the world thinks. It is impossible to do something enough consistently that we find ourselves in a place that we are significant, that we are worthy of someone else's relationship or trust or even respect from ourselves. That doing leading to being is not something that ever truly works, but we try so often to do it and we labor in vain in that process and we end up wondering why life isn't working. It's because we're doing it backwards. Even with the best intentions, we can find ourselves stuck in a pattern that we're just not satisfied with. Like, what is happening? Why am I here? Even with good intentions, we can end up there. It reminds me of the story of a pastor. He was out walking in the neighborhood one day, and he looked across the street to a house, and he saw just this cutest little boy standing on the porch trying to ring the doorbell. And he was a little guy, just a little guy he couldn't reach. He was stepping up on the edge of the door frame, trying to reach up and hit the bell. And he watched him for a little bit, just kind of chuckling at how cute it was. And then he thought, well, maybe I should help him. So they walked across the street, he walked up onto the porch behind the boy, put his hand on the boy's shoulder, and then he reached up and just gave one of those solid doorbell rings. Not one of those dings and done, but like, like a ding dong. And then he leaned down a little further to the boy and said, all right, now what, my little man? And the boy turned to the pastor and said, now we run. <laughs> Look, even with the best intentions... We can find ourselves in places we never meant to go. Stuck someplace we never intended to find ourselves. This pattern of doing leading to being, this pattern of close but not quite, even those who are seeking to honor God can end up there when they don't understand God's pattern and when they're living out of a pattern of the world. Because it's our pattern, not simply our intent, that changes the trajectory of our life. We don't have to be living rogue from God to end up in a pattern he never intended. Even those with the best intentions and high commitment to God can end up in places we never intended, where our doing is trying to lead to being. But when we understand God's design for a home run life, we realize something that turns everything on its head. We realize that success is too small to be the goal. That success is too small to be the only goal of our life. We're all made for more than success. That's one reason why things of this world don't satisfy. It's why we long for more. But the patterns of this life get in the way and keep us from a full, abundant life. But what if I told you there was a way to break the cycle? There was a way to live a better life. One that God clearly lays out. And it's not just an idea, it's not just a dream, that you and I can live an abundant life marked by wins, marked by success and significance and someone's and self-respect in ways we never thought possible. What if there was a way to break the cycle? You see, it was Paul, the first missionary and church planter, who started out his life living according to the patterns of the world. But once he learned God's pattern, everything changed in his life. In fact, in a letter he wrote that we know as the book of Romans, he said this in chapter 12, starting with verse 2. He said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul tells us there is a way to know and live God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. But the world inverts God's pattern, and we end up frustrated and living lesser lives. Here's what I mean. Here's one example of this. In, in the physical world, 
There is a way to grow. Growth is a process, no matter what world we're talking about. But in the physical world, there is a way to grow. And that, that pattern is simply this. We start at a level of dependence, and we move to a level of independence. Think about it. When we are born as infants, we are totally dependent on everybody around us. Our survival depends on the care provided by parents and family because we're totally dependent. But over time, we move from that dependence towards a level of independence. That's the goal in physical growth. Think about it. If you ever had a child, that child is born. They're the cutest thing ever. Even when they smell, they're so cute. You just want to hug them. And then, and then they, they're so cute, it's the reason they survive the terrible twos. And then even when they get into elementary school, they're still cute. They're learning stuff, and they're fun. It's exciting. They say the funniest things. And, and you can never imagine them leaving home. But then they turn into teenagers. And then you can never imagine them staying at home. And that's okay, because the goal is that they become an adult, moving as an individual, and becoming independent. You don't want them at a late age still showing up at your home and putting their feet up on your table and eating your food. You want them to go live life. That's the way the physical world works. But that's not how the spiritual world works. And I think sometimes why we don't grow spiritually is because we don't understand how spiritual growth works. See, spiritual growth is just the opposite of physical growth. We start in a place of significant independence, rebellion from God. We are stuck in sin, but then God wants to lead us on a journey of increasing dependence on Him. That when we know of His love, then we can love. And we step into relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus, and and then we grow in understanding that we surrender more and more of what we think we have and what we have to offer. We just give it up to him and we die to self and ultimately move to a place of dependence where we become like a child. That's how spiritual growth works. And the patterns of the world say it's the opposite. But the patterns of God run counter to the world. And the patterns that we are following shape much of what we do in life. And home run life requires us to grow his way. It may seem backward and unnatural, but that's why it's the pattern of God that's different than the world. It's how he seeks to grow us his way. A home run life requires us to live according to God's pattern. No longer living by the patterns of the world. Not long ago, I talked a little bit about the reality that God isn't as concerned about our happiness as he is about our holiness. You may remember that. He wants us to be like him. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be more and more reflections of his son, Jesus Christ. But we get ourselves into trouble when we make decisions based on what makes us happy instead of holy. And the only way we know what it looks like to pursue holiness is to know him. Jesus said one day, John 15, 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, if you remain in me, if you depend on me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. The only way to live a home run life is to first depend on him. We can only change and grow and have life to the full if we are willing to become dependent on God. We're created to live according to his pattern, no other. In fact, there are four basic growth gates that God uses to grow us. There are four phases of the journey, if you would. They start with this dependence on God, that we need to win dependence. 
This is where we step into relationship with him. This is where we move from independence to that dependence piece. And, and we, we step into relationship with him through Jesus Christ. We surrender our will. We surrender our preferences. We just say, your will, not my way. We are in relationship with him. There is high dependence. But after we win dependence, we need to win within. This is, uh, this is issues of, in, of integrity. This is where we can look at ourselves in the mirror and not be ashamed. This is, this is that self-respect piece. We make decisions based on what he wants and how he lives, not what we desire, what we're tempted to do. But we win within in the issue of character. Once we've done that, the next growth phase is that God leads us to win with others. To win with others. Once we're living uh, dependent upon him and not living for ourselves anymore, then we can truly love others. In fact, you remember, God, Jesus said, look, he said the greatest commandment is to love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's to love the Lord your God. Then he said, then it's to love your neighbor as yourself. So we love God, and out of his love for us, we have a healthy understanding of the fact that we can love who we are out of who he is. Then we can love others. It's just that simple. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Once we have won with others, the final thing is to win results. This is where God then moves us to experience the fruit that only comes from abiding in him. But it doesn't end there because it actually continues back down around to the dependence and significance again because we're no longer living for ourselves; we're living for him. So any results we get are for his glory. He gets the glory. That's God's pattern. The world says we don't have time to spend with God. There's too many things, tyranny, the urgent. We go straight to results and we justify it. We justify it with just necessity, and we cheat along the way, and it's all performance-driven, and it's backwards to how God wanted us to live. We try to go clockwise, and he wants us to go the other way. And we wonder why it doesn't work when we try to go clockwise. You know, throughout time, many people have tried to live the other way, even people in scriptures. Uh, one family in particular lived this way for generations. Even though they loved God, they still went back to patterns of the world. They fell into that temptation. It started with the man Abraham. You may be familiar with Abraham. Abraham was the guy that God pulled out and said, I'm going I'm to bring forth from you my people. Look up the stars. Your descendants will be as numerous as those stars, and they will be my people. I'm going to do it through you. So even though Abraham was called to himself, he was still tempted to go to the patterns of the world. He was tempted to go to results. In fact, twice he lied, saying that his wife was his sister to, to save himself. That's going to results first. He, he and his wife had a pattern in their relationship that ultimately led to seeking results in another occasion. God said, look, I will, you will have a child. But his wife Sarah was old and getting older and didn't have a child, and so they took things into their own hands and they went towards results and they had Abraham sleep with her handmaid, Hagar, and they had a child. Well, that child was Ishmael, not the chosen child, Isaac. And that thing rippled into history because there we have the split. Ishmael into the Muslim faith and Isaac into Judaism and Christianity. What happens when we take things in our own hands and go to results first instead of depending on God? The reality is that this thing rippled through generations until God was allowed to grow one man by his pattern, his way. And as a result, the people of Israel would be given the opportunity to live life to the full. We would be given the opportunity to live life to the full because God led one person through his process many years before. That person was the great-grandson of Abraham named Joseph. 
Now, you may be familiar with Joseph's story. It starts around Genesis chapter 37. It skips to chapter 39, and then it runs for a number of chapters. And through this series, we're walking through his story. If you want to read ahead, check it out, go for it. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time in Home Run Life. But we often skip in Joseph's story to the end, the good part, where he is second in command, second only to Pharaoh, where he saves the nation of Israel from famine. But the reality is his life was marked by a lot of pits and prisons along the way. It started when he was the favored son of Jacob and Rachel. He was loved by his father so much his father gave him a coat of many colors, and that really kind of rubbed relationship and his brothers the wrong way. It was a tense thing. But it got worse at the age of 17 when God started to speak to Joseph through visions. God started to reveal to Joseph that he would have a place of greatness and that it would be such a place of greatness that his brothers would bow down to him. And in in his immaturity, being naive, Joseph shared that with his brothers. And that went really well, don't you think? So well that one day they decided to kill him. One brother pulled them back from that. They threw him in a pit and they sold him into slavery. And in a moment, everything is stripped from Joseph. His dignity, his identity, his clothes, his family. Everything is stripped from him. But the reality is, God didn't need those things to build a home run life in Joseph. What he needed was dependence. And so in a pit, God begins to teach Joseph how to win dependence. His brothers sell him into slavery. They tell his dad he's dead. And he ends up in Egypt, working in the house of a military Egyptian leader named Potiphar. He's granted success. He finds himself with increasing responsibilities in charge of the whole household, But then Potiphar's wife makes an indecent proposal to him, wants to sleep with him. He rejects that. She continues until one day she forces this situation upon him. And in a moment, in a foreign land, in a foreign country, very little accountability, who would know? A young, good-looking man has a choice to sin sexually or not. And we're all tempted. And there's Joseph in a place where he could compromise. But God was positioning him in a place to win within We, we're, we're all tempted, but we don't all run. Joseph ran that day, and he won within. The crazy thing about it is once we move through a gate, God wants to move us to the next gate, but in Joseph's world, once he won within, he was sent to prison for doing the right thing. He didn't do what he said he, that, that, was, that was accused. He was accused. His, the Potiphar's wife lied, said he tried to rape her. So Joseph was sent to prison. He went to prison for doing the right thing. Have you ever wondered what God was doing when you do the right thing, it, life doesn't turn out. See, the reality was that Joseph not only had to learn dependence, win dependence, and win within, but he had to learn to view people differently. And he ends up in prison for years. He helps some people along the way. They promise to remember him. Another two years later, because they forgot about him, do they remember him? And it's during that time that Joseph learns to win with others. He learns to value people differently. He goes from being a dismissive rich kid to being a man marked by deep humility. And once he wins with others, then God moves him to the place where he sees and wins the results. The results that God promised him and showed him long ago in the visions at the age of 17. And it's such a significant thing that it saves the the people who betrayed him. The entire uh, Israelite nation is saved out of this moment and, and preserves a line that would bring forth the Messiah. The one who allows us, who affords us, the opportunity to have a home run life, to live life to the full. You see, Joseph had to go through a journey. 
His journey is so cool. We're going to spend time walking through this the rest of our journey in Home Run Life. But only God could take a guy from the prison to the palace in one day. But it's through a growth process. It's through the right pattern. It's through the patterns of God, not the patterns of this world. See, Joseph was not in Egypt to be wealthy and successful. He was wealthy and successful in Egypt. But that's not why he was there. He was there to save the nation that would bring forth Jesus. So that we can have a home run life. My friends, success is too small to be the goal. Because what happens when you live according to God's pattern is the results and the successes turn right back to him, which is why Joseph could say at the end of that process to his brothers, what you intended for evil or harm, my God intended for good. Back to winning dependence. See, here's how the rest of our journey is going to go. We're talking about leveraging this baseball thing out of God's pattern. And what all this means is that everything starts with that winning dependence where we connect with God. That's home plate. Everything starts at home plate. If we don't start here, we never hit anything. It starts with connecting with God. The second thing is it deals with character. That's first base. We have to win within in the area of character to get to first base, to get past first base. Once we've done that, now we're talking about community. Winning with others. Until we win in these two places, we can't win in relationship to others and we have true community. And out of that community, now we're talking about the issue of competence. This is the results piece. And that competence then leads back to connection with God. We're going to spend our journey walking through the realities of these bases. Walking through what it means to live a home run life. Leveraging baseball, digging into the life story of Joseph, ultimately, so that God is glorified in our lives as we seek to honor him. That's the journey of home run life. We're doing it because patterns, the patterns that we live, they define us. And we need to follow God's pattern because they define us and they define our family. We're not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the only way to live a home run life, life to the full, is through this pattern. Not skipping bases, not stealing bases. Staying in each one until it's complete. And like Joseph, we're created not just for small things. We're created for impact beyond ourselves. We're created for more, yet we have a choice in that process. We have to decide whose pattern we're going to live by. If we decide to pursue happiness over holiness, we'll cut straight to competence and results and success. We'll cheat when it comes to others. We'll use others for our gain and we'll compromise our integrity. It'll be our agenda at the expense of God's best in our life. The patterns we live by define us. So what? What do we do as we begin this series? Uh, there's just simply two things I want to invite you to do. One is to seek God and the other is to seek a new pattern. Are you willing to seek God first? Are you willing to place him first? Are you willing to step up to home plate, depend on him, abide in him, and let him transform you? The majority of the world seeks other things first. But what might happen if you and I sought God first? What might happen if we allowed him to grow us his way? If you look at verse 1 of Romans 12, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What might happen if we sought God first, submitting all that we are to all that he is, and then, in return, sought his pattern, that new pattern of his that, that positions us for that home run life. God has given us a way to win, my friends. It's different than the world, but when we understand it, and we start to live it, then he's able to do things that we never thought were possible in life. 
but it starts with relationship with him. And if you're someone who's wrestling with that, you're spiritually unresolved, you haven't given your life to God through Jesus Christ, I encourage you to consider taking some time to read the back of the worship guide, the, the sermon notes guide, to walk through the steps of what it means to step into relationship with him, to step up to home plate, to be able to hit the ball in life. Paul said it, that we're not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then, then and only then, we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will for us and for others and in the world. As we wrap up our time, we step back into worship. I wonder whose pattern we're currently living by. Are, are we living by the pattern uh, of the world? Are we living by someone else's pattern? Are we living by our own pattern? Are we living by God's pattern? The answer to the question really determines the trajectory of our lives, and it determines whether or not we can win in life and live a home run life. So as we continue in our journey, I invite you to prayerfully consider the patterns you're using and be willing to seek God first and to live according to his pattern. And I can't wait to see what God does as we continue as a church through this process. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to spend some time together with you. I thank you for your pattern. I thank you that you make a way for us to move from independence to dependence. And then out of a dependence on you, you help us to, to win within, you help us to win with others, and you help us to win the results that bring you glory and honor. Thank you for your willingness to do that with us. God, I pray that you would help us to understand what parts of our life you're trying to grow us more in, what, what areas you want to refine in us, not just so that we can win for us. When we win with you, it's really talking about losing for you. It's surrendering to you. It's sacrificing for you. And that's where, that's where you receive glory. So help us to understand what it means to live a life that honors you. And as we journey through Joseph's life, as we continue to unpack these principles, teach us. And at the end of that process, may you be pleased and glorified because you're able to do what you want in and through us. I love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.